0: If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Taryn Warren's our guest today on Horse Chats. She's our clinician in working equitation. We've had her on a few times before and also had her back. You know, this is her fourth time, I think, Taryn. Is that correct? Yes, that yeah. was it's the fourth one. Yeah, yeah, and working equitation, it's a fairly new sport. It's not like the old, you know, eventing or anything else. Fairly new sport. And if you'd like to know a little bit more about it before you actually listen to this episode, you can go back and listen to Taryn on 553, then on 579 she came along and talked to us about developing your working equitation course, and then she came as a judge, a working equitation judge, on number 615. And before 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 we actually start talking to Taryn about the subject today, I'd just like to remind you about International Horse College. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance when humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans, and we only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers in all our courses internationalhorsecollege.com registered training organization 31352. Now Taryn, how are you anyway? I'm doing very well, thank you. How about yourself? Yeah, very well, very well. Taryn, we're going to talk about winning tips to improve our ease of handling round. But can you, and I know you've done this before in previous episodes, but can you just go through the four phases of working equitation for us again? And then we sort of know just a little bit more depth of knowledge and what particular area we're going to be working on today. Absolutely. So working equitation is a four-phase
1: sport. It always begins with the dressage phase Mm -hmm. where you're going to perform a working dressage pattern that will demonstrate skills that you'll need for cattle handling down the road. That is followed by your ease of handling rounds and that's a phase that has obstacles and those obstacles have to be ridden in a prescribed gait and the gate between obstacles is also prescribed. Okay. After the ease of handling round, you'll ride in speed, which is strictly time. So there's no score other than your time. The fastest time with the least amount of um, penalties is going to win that round. Mm-hmm. And the fourth phase is your cattle phase where you have three minutes to cut a cow from the herd and move it to a pen on the other
0: end of the arena. Perfect. All right. So today we're going to talk about the second one, the ease of handling room. You've got some great tips to help us with that. So if we're going to talk about lines to fit your horse, is there a set line? How can we vary this and make it that does suit our horse?
1: So one of the things that I learned early on, I ride – usually multiple horses at a show and Mm -hmm. you have to pick your line for the horse. Um, You can't pass through any obstacles that you haven't completed, but your job is to find the way that's going to set your horse up to be the most balanced. Your transitions are judged. So both your upward and downward transition at an obstacle are judged. So you're trying to look for the lines that will showcase the strengths in your horse and kind of hide those weaknesses. Um, you'll need to consider whether your horse has a strong upward and downward transition. That might allow you to take shortest lines, and the shorter lines will always get you a higher score if done well. But if you take a line that's too short for your horse, you're going to have them unbalanced going into the obstacle. Um, Sometimes that can be as simple as just adding a small circle prior to um, approaching the obstacle to get your horse on the correct lead or the correct bend. You want to think about whether the line you chose helps or hurts your horse, and sometimes that longer line to adjust between the obstacles is your best plan. Um it's judged, like I said, both in the um, it's judged in the course navigation part of your ease of handling score.
0: Okay, so you talked about the best plan, so you can have more than one plan when you go in, you know, like a plan A, plan B. Tell us a little bit about that, and if you do, how often would you have to go to your plan B or your plan C? Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: I always tell my students, you have to have at least two plans because there's one obstacle that you never know. Mm-hmm. And that is where the judge is going to be standing. So it never fails that you have it all planned out in your head. You've walked to the course and you ride in and the judge is standing right <laughs> in the line you were going to ride.
0: Okay. So okay. I, yes. I
1: never go in without a plan A and plan B. Um, but the other factor is that the horse you had in the warm-up ring may not be the horse that steps into that competition ring. Yes. There may be something that worried them. And so when you have that tension, the short lines may really set your horse up to be unbalanced, um, executing the obstacles. So sometimes you need some longer lines to try and get rid of that tension um, when you're going. So I always try and look for lines that My plan A is always the line that's going to get me the best score. So that's going to be the shortest line that I think my horse is capable of. My plan B is always what happens if I come in there and my horse is a little tense. Where is that longer line where I can get a few more strides in, where I can add a circle to help get that horse more balanced prior to entering? And then also, when I'm, I'm looking for those lines, I'm always looking for the most obvious place the judge is going to be standing so that... I have a plan around that if they're in my path to the obstacle. hmm
0: mm-hmm. Now you talked about walking your lines, so you can walk the lines that you intend to ride, like a show jumping, where you might go out across country, you go out and ride the, you know, walk the course. Is that the case?
1: Absolutely. You get a course map about two hours prior to the course walk, mm-hmm. and then you get to walk that course on foot. Um, One of the things that I see a lot of competitors do, and they end up disqualifying themselves, is that they don't walk the lines that they're going to ride. They take shortcuts from obstacle to obstacle, and in their head, they're thinking they're going to ride the longer line. But your brain and your body really need to work together to to walk it. Also, when you're walking, um, when you're walking those lines, you need to look at the footing. Sometimes these um, ease of handling rounds are run out in an open area, uh, like a pasture. So you could have some hills, you could have some slippery areas. So you want to pay attention to that when you're walking so that you know what to avoid. Yep. The other thing is that you have to look for your entrance and exit markers, both for the course and the obstacles. And that's super important. If you don't walk through that obstacle on the line that you intend to ride you may miss that there's an exit marker on that obstacle and if you don't exit through that exit marker you'll be disqualified. The other thing that I try and do when I'm walking that course is I pick up the obstacles that we need to touch so that I know how heavy they are When when I'm bending off my horse to pick that up. Do they make a lot of noise? Um, which side of the obstacle are things placed on because you need to pick it up with your free hand, not your rein hand. So sometimes they'll stick it on the opposite track side to try and get the rider to reach with the incorrect hand. So mm-hmm. when you're walking your lines, you need to walk exactly what you plan to ride and you need to touch everything that you plan on touching during that course.
0: Okay. And you've talked about quite a few times there where if you – a riding the wrong course because you obviously haven't walked it properly, you can be eliminated. How often does that happen within a competition?
1: You know, it, it really depends.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you have an area where there's a lot of new riders, the disqualifications are going to be a little bit higher. But I also see the mistake that a lot of people watch the ride before them and they try and alter their what they walk. Mm -hmm. by what the rider just did in front of them Mm -hmm. and they end up disqualifying themselves because they tried to ride something that they hadn't walked or the rider in front of them makes a pretty serious error and they, it it becomes contagious and they make the same serious errors. So it, it can become an epidemic, which is why I always tell my students don't watch, don't watch the riders before you stick to the plan. What did you walk? What is your plan? Don't worry about anybody else's plan so that you don't make those mistakes that,
0: Are going to get you disqualified. Okay, okay. Now, what about symmetry within the line, within the ease of handling round? Tell us about symmetry.
1: So this is an area where the judges are really paying attention to your turns and your circles. They're looking to see if you've addressed your horse's weak side. If you lose the symmetry, we also know that there's a problem with the rhythm, the regularity, the bend, and your score will reflect that. Your left and right circles should look just as easy and effortless as the other one does, and not addressing that weak side will show up and it will affect your score. Um, the good symmetry shows you have put the work in at home to develop your horse, and it's true whether we're riding an obstacle forward, so we're riding the figure eight forward, and at the upper levels you also have to ride that with the horse rein backing. So. Even in the rain back, the judges are looking to see if your left circle looks like your right circle. At home, I try to set up a barrel, and from that barrel, I set out four cones. And probably about six feet off of the barrel, and I practice riding my circle around the outside of those cones. And it tells me where my horse is falling into the circle, drifting away from the circle, so that I can get that addressed at home long term the reason this is important is because it can affect your horse's soundness if you look at some roping horses that you know maybe have only been practiced cantering left because they're a a heel horse and so they've only ever turned left if you stand behind them and look the muscles on their right side are atrophied and it has changed the conformation of that horse to where both the front and the hind leg will toe out a little bit on that horse so the goal in this sport is to make a horse extremely balanced and functional and it will stay sound for a long day, day of work.
0: Mm. It's mm. probably a good sound basis for any horse, but I understand where you're coming Absolutely. from there. Yeah, yeah. What about geometry within your ease of handling round?
1: So, again, this is an area where our riders lose um, a lot of points. We're looking for, as judges, we're looking at the straight lines and the circles. They both have some pitfalls. Horses, as we know, are not naturally straight. It's our job to try and help them get that way. But the lack of straightness affects their balance, and then their circles start becoming not round. They become egg-shaped or, or cone-shaped, or they have a flat side, and circles are supposed to have that roundness. So when we see that the geometry is suffering, we know, again, that the weakness has not been addressed or the rider is not giving the horse the support that they need to keep balanced on that circle. Um, we're looking to see again whether those loops and turns are equal. We're checking to see if they have the same number of strides on a left circle versus the right circle. When the strides are off, we know that that geometry is suffering a little bit. The horse is either leaning into the strong side, making the circle small, or leaning away from the weak side, making the circle too large. Um, it shows that lack of bend throughout the horse's entire body and probably some overflexion of the neck. So the geometry becomes very important to learn how to ride that round circle. Um, One exercise I do at home with my students a lot is I put four ground poles down in a square shape and I make that square shape uh, about the size of a five meter circle Mm -hmm. uh, and I have them ride inside that square and their job is to touch the center of each of the poles and round the corner so that they learn how to make a a geometrically correct circle each direction without
0: having that flat side. Okay, okay. I think that's a good exercise for quite a few sports, not just for working equitation. Absolutely. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book imagine maybe one day you could be a guest on horse chats what about the circle size i mean you put plenty of emphasis on the circle should be round they should be equal same amount of strides each side but what about the circle size and how important is that
1: So it's really important, and one of the things that I hear from a lot of people is that in the discipline that it's okay to make the circle bigger if your horse can't handle the smaller circle. The problem with that and your ease of handling round is that the judge is judging to a standard. And for our rule book, it specifies that the circles are supposed to be three to four meters in size. So if a rider goes in and they're riding A larger circle we see this a lot six eight meter circle we have to take that even though that might be the best circle size for that horse we're judging to the standard and the standard says three to four meters Mm -hmm. so that's going to bring that circle or that that obstacle score down um, because riding the bigger circle we all know is obviously easier but it's not showing the mechanics needed in the sport which at the end of the day is to help that horse work a cow On the left side of that, you want both of your circles to match. So on some of these circles, we're riding the right circle and the left circle. If they can ride a three-meter circle to the left, but they can only ride a four-meter circle to the right, then you should probably make both circles four meters to give the illusion that there's not a weak side. Yes. Uh, So we're looking for the agility uh, that the horses are going to need to work the cows which requires the tighter turns and the smaller circles with the changes of direction where the horse stays balanced and that's going to give them the skill and the strength that they need to be able to successfully work that cow when they get to the fourth phase
0: all right i just want to go back we talked about walking the course and there's the importance of walking so that you don't get eliminated but if you've gone out you've walked your course what's the best way about memorizing your course can you tell us a bit more about memorizing your course
1: Absolutely. This is one where a lot of riders get intimidated because they have to memorize the the course. And I think memorization is a skill. just as learning to do some of these other things is a skill. And you can learn to do it and train your brain to do it. So from my standpoint, the way I memorize my courses, and sometimes I have to memorize two or three at a single show because I'm riding in different levels. So that's a lot of work. For me, what I do is I take the obstacles three at a time and I repeat the obstacle number and I repeat the obstacle name in my head while I'm envisioning each obstacle as it's written on the course map. And I have found that doing it in threes um, is easier than trying to memorize the entire course at once. And so after I've... Usually you have anywhere from 10 to 14 obstacles on a course. And after I've memorized all those obstacles in groups of three then I try and put those groups together and remember the entire course. But I don't try and do the entire course at one time. Okay. The benefit of memorizing both the number and the name is if you get lost on the course, you can look at the number of the obstacle and then you ride around until you find the next sequential number. If you just memorize the name, your brain's going to be really scrambling to catch up while you're on the course. Same if you're just memorizing the numbers. So when I'm memorizing my course map I'll, in my head, and sometimes even out loud, I'll be saying one bridge, two, which cup three pen. And until I have those memorized in that order, I don't go on to the next set of three. Okay. Um, and then if you get lost, just keep making a circle until you can um, slowly start reciting it in your head again. and Look for the number you just left and then look for the next sequential number. But stopping is going to make it obvious that you're lost, so I try not to do that. I try and ride a big circle outside my obstacles and um, just take a little bit longer line.
0: Okay. Now, I know that you've talked a little bit about having the correct bend and, um, you know, working the horse equal, being on the correct lead, but lead changes. um, Tell us a bit about bends and lead changes. So
1: on our courses, if if the judge is writing a really good course, they're going to write a course that's going to require you to demonstrate both the left and right bend or lead fairly equally. Um, again, looking for that weak side. So I'm always paying attention when on my course walk, when I'm approaching an obstacle, just what is my first turn? Is it a left turn? Is it a right turn? So that I know as I'm approaching that obstacle that I need to have my horse set up on the correct bend or the correct lead to make them successful. Um, This is especially true when you have the obstacles that you have to turn or circle, but also true when you have the obstacle that you like the pitcher or the gate where you're going to be leaning off your horse a little bit. If you approach in a counter bend or a counter lead and ask that horse to stop, your horse is thinking the opposite direction that you're leaning off which is going to cause them to lose the immobility when they stop so for example if i have if if i'm approaching the jug and i'm going to pick up that jug with my right hand i always make sure that i'm approaching that jug on the right lead or the right bend so that my horse is thinking right at the same time i'm going to have to lean off and and pick that up they're more balanced when they stop when they stop and they're ready for need to lean off and, and not break that halt. The breaking of the halt will, will set you up for a negative score. Okay. You have to look for those changes of then based on your course line. So I see a lot of the riders in the lower levels where they only have to trot between obstacles. They're not thinking about what then they're coming into the obstacle on. So they, they come in um, – to an obstacle where they have to turn left on the right bend, and it causes their horse to lean into the obstacle and so with my riders i tell them always to think in terms of canter if you were tr- if you're trotting that's fine but i want you to think if i were cantering what lead would i need to be on for that obstacle the first the first element of that obstacle and that's the lead that you want to be on to get your horse balanced for two to three strides prior to entering that obstacle
0: Okay. Now we've talked about approaching the obstacle with the correct bend and correct lead. What else do we need to know about setting up the approach? Because it, it is important. I, I understand that, that approach. And, yeah.
1: It's extremely important. And so probably the, the next biggest thing that you're going to be talking about is your transition. Um, a lot of the obstacles, especially at the lower levels where you walk or trot, a lot of the obstacles require you to have an upward and a downward transition at each obstacle. I think of those transitions like the foundation of a house. If your transition is weak, the gate is gonna be weak after that, which is going to cause issues in the execution of your obstacle. So the loss of balance in those transitions, when we go to that fourth phase of working equitation again, is gonna cause problems in working the cows. So on the ease of handling, your transitions actually hit you twice as far as scoring. They hit you on both your obstacle score and they hit you in your collective marks because we feel that they're that important. So you want to always put them at the best advantage. If your horse struggles with transitions, you're going to need to leave yourself a little bit more room. But you want to practice those at home. If you're riding an ease-of-handling course at the lower level, it could be very feasible that your horse has to ride 20, 30 transitions in a five- or six-minute period. Mm-hmm. So the horse needs to be strong enough to do that. You um, need to practice the transition coming from the hind leg and through the back with the forehand being light, not with the, the horse crashing into the forehand. When they crash into the forehand, they're not going to be ready for whatever's coming next, and if that were truly working a cow, the cow would be gone. Um, you want to look for the lack of resistance in the transition. So we don't want to see the horse swinging the head, running out through the shoulder. Um, that's going to indicate, again, the lack of balance and harmony between the horse and rider and, and some um, tension. When you have poor transitions, it's also going to indicate to the judge that there are issues with other areas of the collected marks, such as the use of the rider's aid and the submission of the horse. So it really... Even though the transitions don't necessarily count on those collective marks, the overall impression of the horse and rider will be affected in those marks by what the
0: judge is seeing. All, right. All right. So yeah. this is
1: where half halts. you know, they've got to execute those half halts in preparation for those transitions. Um, one trick I use at home with my students is that when you're at home schooling, every time you have a transition down, stop and back a step, and then walk forward. Every time you have a change of bend, stop and back a step, then walk forward. When you have that upward transition, if the horse is trying to scramble into it, stop and back a step, and then ask for that transition. And that's going to help remind that horse that it needs to be on that hind leg. It will also kind of program them for the half halt while you're moving forward. If they start really paying attention to what your feet and leg are doing when you're asking them to get back over that hind leg, you'll start to be able to ask that with the forward motion and that's going to
0: improve your transitions. Mm, it's important to practice your transitions. Is there anything else? You talked a little bit about the collective marks. Anything else we need to know about winning tips to improve our ease of handling round?
1: Well, I, there is one more thing that I like mm. to touch on with my students, and it's what to do when you have a choice. So uh, the rules and the requirements and the ease of handling sometimes give you a choice. Sometimes on an obstacle you have a choice to either walk or canter. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the judge should be scoring the more difficult gate with the higher marks. So it's a risk-reward type thing. You take the risk of the canter, and you do it well, you're going to get a high score. But it is a risk, and things can fall apart in a hurry at the canter, which could also put you into the negative score category. If you play it safe and walk, you're going to get a really average score. The judge knows you're playing it safe, it's not going to be a negative mark, but it's not, it showed no risk and it didn't show really strong mechanics for the judge to really be able to reward it. So that's one area where I tell my students you really need to work on that more difficult gate because that's where you're going to gain points. But if you go in that ring and your horse doesn't feel prepared, don't throw away the score to try and perform the more difficult gate because take that average score. and and keep working um, on the more difficult days. Uh, There are a couple other obstacles that we have. One of them is a corridor where you have to pick up a cup and back out. And a lot of our riders at the lower levels ride their horses with two hands on the reins. And that obstacle is designed that when you pick up the cup, you're going to have to back with one hand. At the lower levels, they're not penalized for going back to two hands while holding the cup, but when the judge is evaluating that, the rider that could actually back it one-handed holding the cup should receive the higher score over the rider that went back to two hands to to complete the obstacle. So there are a couple areas where you can really work on picking up points that other people are leaving on the table if you're practicing at home and, and working towards those more difficult scores.
0: Okay. Yeah. There's quite a few takeaways here. You know, you may not be thinking necessarily I'm going to go out and do working equitation, but there's lots of things that are important. You know, the emphasis on, you know, circles round and equal. I think that, you know, counter strides, if you're doing however many counter strides you're doing on one circle, you should be doing that going the other way, you know, from right to left, putting up rails as a square and using them to aim for the middle instead of we just hats we've got four rails there, let's go and work on that. You know, the backing up with the Absolutely. horse doesn't do something. So so I think it's a challenge. I'd like to throw it out to people that get away from your normal training exercises today and, and just or tomorrow and work on training exercises that may come in from a different discipline within horse riding and just start to look at different disciplines, different way of training and and just expand your ideas a bit because Taryn's certainly given us some today. Taryn, if people would like to contact you direct, what's the best way?
1: The best way is generally through email, which is tntfarmsqtr Horses at
0: yahoo.com. Okay, so basically it's TNT Farms, quarterhorses at yahoo.com. But those details will be available. Just go to horsechats.com and search for Taryn or search for Warren. So Taryn is T-A-R-R-I-N or Warren, W-A-R-R-E-N, and you'll find those details at the bottom of each of her pages now. Taryn, Thank you again, (laughs) love your time, love your exercises, love what you bring to Horse Chats because you're coming in from a little bit of a different area but you know we all love horses and we all want to get the best out of them and I think that your knowledge and expertise particularly in the uh, working equitation area but just your knowledge as a horse person I think certainly complements our show so thank you. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and I always enjoy talking with you. Thank you. Love it. Okay, Taryn, we'll catch up with you again sometime soon, I'm sure. So thank you again. Have a good one. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.